Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Welcome to Sports Business Radio, and happy holidays. This is executive producer of SBR, Brian Griggs, in with a very special best of show, as Brian Berger is out sick this week. Hopefully he's out there drinking his green tea, getting a little bit better. He didn't have much of a voice, so you'll be glad I'm here. Two great interviews lined up for you today in this best of show, segment two and three. We're going to hear from executive director of the BCS, Bill Hancock. Great interview. Give some background and insight into the process that makes up the BCS. So stick around for that in segment two and three. And then segment four, we're going to go out and have some fun with Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, who, as you know, is much more than just a basketball owner. He is in pop culture. He's all over the news. He's everywhere. So we'll hear what he's up to. Mark Cuban in segment four. I want to remind you that we're looking for your input on what you think were the top sports business stories of 2010. You can email your nominations to Brian Berger at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Uh, the top nominations will be used to make up our Christmas and New Year's shows this year. They're pretty fun shows, kind of a countdown vibe to them. And we want your input on what you think were the biggest stories out there. And we'll use some of those in our shows coming up at the end of this year. A couple of other notes. Follow us on Twitter at SB Radio and at Facebook.com slash Sports Business Radio. You can find all those links as well as some great blogs, podcasts, interviews, all kinds of stuff at the all-new SportsBusinessRadio.com. Bookmark it right now. Lots of good stuff on there. Interviews from past, present. It's good stuff. SportsBusinessRadio.com. Okay, coming up, Brian's interview with Executive Director of the BCS, Bill Hancock on Sports Business Radio. This is SBR. Back with more after this. I've had a fire burning since the holidays began. I hear it's cold out where you're leaving, but it ain't colder than I've been. I've been an animal since you left me. I need you wrapped under my tree. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series, better known as the BCS. Hancock served for 13 years as the director of the NCAA's Division I Men's Basketball Championship, the three-week March Madness event that culminates at the Final Four. Bill, happy holidays, and thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Thank you very much, Brian. We, we appreciate your having us on. So, Bill, for our audience, explain what your duties and responsibilities are as the executive director of the BCS. Let's start there. Thank you. The, the BCS is, an, is uh, an event. It's not an entity. It's an event that's managed by the 11 conferences. And I uh, work for the conferences to basically handle the day-to-day details of, of the BCS, uh, serve as a national spokesperson, um, help them build a consensus, and then articulate that consensus. So before, I've had Michael Slive on the show a few times, SEC commissioner. He was the BCS coordinator. John Swarford from the ACC has been the coordinator. Why was the decision made to put someone like yourself in that permanent seat so it didn't rotate amongst the commissioners anymore? Uh, they decided that, they, that a full-time person was necessary uh, to, help, to help with the communications and that the event had grown to such a point that uh, more time was needed to manage it. You know, those commissioners, all, they all have day jobs. <laughs> right. And, and when it came their turn to wear the BCS hat, they were adding 10 or 20% more onto their already full plates. And it just wasn't appropriate. It may have been appropriate in the early days of the BCS, but the, the event has grown so much that it's no longer appropriate. Don't take offense to this, but I've said the the second most thankless job in America next to being president of the United States is being the executive director of the BCS. I think you've got a very, very difficult job. Maybe you could talk to us about what some of your goals as the BCS executive director are going forward now that you're sitting in this seat as of November. We think that many people don't understand the BCS. Right, I would agree. Don't understand the revenue distribution, don't understand the team selection, and it, it is a fair process that has been developed through the years by all 11 conferences. And I think more importantly, by uh, the 120 institutions who play FBS football, both subdivision football. Um, and nothing could happen without those institutions' uh, consensus. And so that's what we have. And, of course, being the representative of something that's controversial is not easy, but this is worth fighting for. This is a great game. College football is so healthy, it's so popular, and it has such passionate fans that it's worth fighting for. And frankly, I love the game. always have, even when I was a basketball guy. I, I, I love college football. And I want, to know, I want people to know all the good that the BCS has done. I'm proud of it. We have a story to tell, and, and we're telling it. So again, just kind of continuing along those lines a lot of people think the bcs is associated with the ncaa which it's not can you again kind of just explain to the lay person you know you talk about the fbs explain kind of who owns the bcs i know you talked a few minutes ago about the different conferences and but can you go into a little more detail on that yeah you bet happy to um the 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 event the bcs event is managed by the conferences uh, and, and not by the NCAA because the NCAA really doesn't manage uh, postseason football, and uh, it's managed by a series of conference of contracts among the conferences and the bowls. 
of course, as a former NCAA staff member, I, I have many friends in the national office. Sure. And I certainly understand the mission of the NCAA. But the fact is that the conferences prefer to manage this event uh, themselves. And so that's that's the way it happens. Isn't it 11 conferences and then Notre Dame is part of the, the BCS as well? Yes, it, it, which is all, that 11 is all, uh, that is the whole universe of conferences for the, the bowl subdivision. So it, it's, it's managed by everyone who's involved. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. He was appointed to that position this past November. Bill, uh, a lot of people, just the, the lay person again, looks at college football and they say there's a, there's a playoff at the Division two and Division three level. Why does a playoff system not work at the Division One level? Very good question. There are many reasons for that. Um, and I'll start with that those other divisions don't have the heritage of the bowl system. In 1A football, the bowls are the reward at the end of the season. It's a chance to go to a, experience a new culture, visit a new place, and it's a reward at the end of the season. Those other divisions don't have that. I think if you talk to many, some people in those other divisions, and I, and I have, frankly, Dan Beebe, who's commissioner of the Big 12 now, used to be commissioner of the Ohio Valley. And he knows for many years there were people who play in the, in the championship subdivision, the old 1AA playoffs, who are not happy about it, who wish they had a bowl system instead of the playoff system that they have. But other reasons why there's no playoff is basically – it's easy for the critics to talk about a paper playoff. But when you start to deal in reality, which is what we have to do, it's quite difficult. Selecting four teams for a playoff today would, would be very difficult. Obviously, with the five undefeated teams that we have, who gets left out? Selecting the field for eight-team playoff, there would be more teams who think they have a chance to get in. So while there's, there are people who don't like what we have, most of what they don't like would not be cured by a playoff. Um, we also have the most meaningful regular season of any sport. You remember, I know, how, how meaningful regular seasons used to be in, in all sports, college and pro. And now with the expansion of brackets uh, in all championships, the regular season just frankly doesn't mean as much as it used to. And I don't know why we would want to monkey with this meaningful regular season in college football. Another thing about I'm sorry Brian excuse me just another thing about playoffs is just the logistics of something as simple as asking people to travel across the country and back home and then back out for three or four weekends in a row for a playoff would be very a significant burden on the fans and we need to be careful about that. Yeah, I mean I guess you know I watched the NCAA tournament and you obviously used to run the NCAA tournament, as I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, and fans will travel back and forth during the tournament. So I think they would still travel. I understand it's a burden and the time of the year is a little bit more difficult than during the spring, but I do think uh, they would travel. Let me ask you this. Um, ESPN takes over the broadcast rights for the BCS in 2011. If they came to you and said, you know what? We want to be a, a voice in, in changing the system. We'd like to see a playoff versus how the system is, is set up now. Would you listen to them? Do they have the power to have that conversation, or are they not more powerful than the 11 conferences and, and Notre Dame, the BCS system? Before I answer that, Brian, let me go back to the travel matter because my experience on the NCAA staff uh, showed me that 
travel in football will not work for the fans. The biggest difference is we're asking in college football, we're asking 30 to 35,000 people to travel to, to bowl games and, and by extension to playoff games every week. Whereas in the NCAA tournament, each team might have brought 200, maybe 800, maybe sometimes 1,000 to faraway places. So it's, it's just not the same. There's so many more people. And also our travel in football is at holiday time, so that has to be considered. But your question about, it, about ESPN is a good one, and the fact is they have no more voice than, than anyone else in this discussion. Um, we do have a four-year contract with them. They will not be asking for changes. Um, until the next time the contract comes due. And, and they might ask for changes then, but actually what happened this time is we, we took them the format, and we said this is the format that we're going to have, and and what's your response? In, in other words, what kind of a rights fee will you provide? Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a matter of them trying to tweak the format at all. We, we, we developed it, we took it to them, and they bid on it. Interesting. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. Alabama, Texas, they're going to face off in the national championship game, both undefeated, both storied programs, great matchup of one versus two. But you've got Boise State, TCU, they're going to face off in the Fiesta Bowl. Bill, is it safe to say that Alabama, Texas, they come from bigger conferences, they come from conferences that play tougher schedules? Is it safe to say that they get into the national championship game because of those reasons? No, not at all. Um, maybe their conference, their, their, there could be an extension that might explain why their conferences might affect why they, why they were so strong was that their strength of schedule was strong. Uh, they, paid, they played good teams week in and week out. I, I, think that, I think that's the main boost that they get from being in those conferences. More of Brian's conversation with Bill Hancock, the executive director of the BCS, coming up next on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports 
in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at Brian at SportsBusinessRadio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is SportsBusinessRadio.com. Now back to Brian's conversation with the executive director of the BCS, Bill Hancock, on Sports Business Radio. So you look at Boise State and TCU. They've beaten everyone on their schedule. They have a tough time getting the Goliaths to play them, frankly, because if they beat Goliath, that doesn't look good for that conference and for that school. So I just wonder, you know, at what point do you think that we may see a Boise State, a TCU, a a non-major conference team in the BCS National Championship game, or is that a nearly impossible task because, A, they don't play in a conference that has a schedule as tough as, let's say, the SEC or the Pac-10 or the Big East or the ACC, and then um, they have a hard time getting other schools to play them for their non-conference schedule. You know, Brian, scheduling is a school-by-school matter, and I I don't need to get involved in it. Sure. And I don't. However, I will say that the people who say that Boise and TCU can't get people to play them have ignored the fact that Boise played Oregon this year, TCU played Clemson and Virginia, and and Boise State is playing Virginia Tech next year. So I don't agree with those people who say they can't get people to play them. Uh, but But the fact is that going through the SEC schedule week by week with the physical nature of football is a grind. Yes. And there's never a week off. And it, it's it's an it's quite an accomplishment to go through a schedule in a conference like that undefeated. No, I agree. And again, I think you got it totally right with Alabama, Texas in the national championship game. I think those are the two best teams, and I think that will be a heck of a game. And what storied programs they are! So I think the TV ratings and the attendance at the game and the merchandise sales should be uh, a home run for you guys. Explain to us again, trying to educate our audience a little bit. I know that there's large payouts for the BCS bowl games. And unless Notre Dame and Independent is playing in one of the BCS games, it's my understanding that, let's say Oregon. Oregon's playing in the Rose Bowl. So Oregon isn't going to make $17, 18000000 dollars. They're going to split that with the other members of their conference. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Every conference has a formula for dividing the money. Most of them divide it that each, each institution gets the same amount. Some are slightly different. Just a few minutes left. Like I said, a lot of BCS games. I know there happen to be two on January 1st. Are you going to be attending as many of the BCS games as you can, I would imagine? Yes. You know, when you manage something, you like to be a part of it, and you, you, you like to go and, and watch the people who have worked so hard be successful. So I'm, I'll be going to as many games as I can, and I, I do get to see the Ducks play. Yeah, that'll be uh, uh, definitely a great game. They haven't been there since 1995, and uh, that should be a high-scoring Affair, do you have a, a favorite bowl game that you've liked to attend? I mean, you know, I'm on the West Coast, so I've always followed the Rose Bowl a little bit more closely than some of the other games. Are there ones that you've attended more than others? You know, I don't have a favorite at all. I, I, I love all of them. They're all different. They're all a very special experience. And it's so much, it's so pleasing to watch the fans enjoy their bowl experience. Uh, we had a great treat a couple of years ago when Hawaii played in the Sugar Bowl, just seeing how happy the Hawaii fans were to be there but 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 every game every game is a unique experience and I, I love all of them yeah I mean let me ask you that Bill a few years ago Boise State just one of the most thrilling bowl games I've ever watched in the Fiesta Bowl when they played Oklahoma 
Is it better for the BCS to have David versus Goliath, or is it better for the BCS to have two powers like Alabama and Texas face off? What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. We want to make available to the bowls the opportunity to arrange the matchups that work best for them. And beyond that, I'm not sure there's. Any, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what's or what's bad for the BCS. I'm intrigued by the Boise State. TCU matchup this year. It's what the Fiesta Bowl wanted. They felt very strongly about it. Undefeated teams don't play in bowl games very often outside of the BCS championship game. I think the, the Fiesta Bowl thought they had a, a real coup by arranging that matchup. I don't agree with the people. I know the people are dead wrong when they talk about a conspiracy to match those two. That was the furthest thing from what happened. And the fact is, I think it's an insult to those two to say that they should have been split up and they should have played somebody from another conference. They're equals. They're equals with the others, and and they need to be treated that way. Bill, is there a draft order? Again, this is something that a lot of people have wondered. So, obviously, Alabama-Texas matched up in the national championship game. So, of the remaining bowls, who had first pick on their matchup? Yes, there is a draft order. The, The first draft goes to the bowl that lost the number one team, and that was a Sugar Bowl this year, and they took they took uh, Florida. Then the second pick goes to the bowl that lost the number two team, and that was the Fiesta Bowl that lost Texas, of course. And with that pick, they took Boise State. And then it just goes from there. And then the, the, the and forgive me for that. I, I'm not thinking right now about did they take Boise State or TCU. I've had so much on my mind. <laughs> That's week, okay. I, I can't remember. But uh, then then there's a sequence. It changes every year. Uh, the next pick was the Orange Bowl. They took Iowa. The next pick was the Fiesta Bowl for its second pick, and they took either Boise or TCU. Forgive me. I wish I could remember. Um, and then the Sugar Bowl came next, and, and, of course, they took Cincinnati. Interesting. So I bet there's a lot of anticipation in that room when uh, the the bowl selection committees get to uh, pick their, their teams that they want to match up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely there is. That's great. Before I let you go, I was reading in your bio that you're an avid outdoorsman. You've ridden your bike across the United States twice. Wow. I mean, it's like watching the movie Forrest Gump where he goes back and forth across the United States. What led you to, besides just wanting to keep yourself in good shape, what led you to want to ride your bicycle across the United States twice? It's quite a feat. Yeah, well, thank you, Brian. I I was a marathoner. I I was a 15-time marathoner with a PR 306, so I I took it quite seriously. And as I got a little older, my knees started saying, Bill, you might want to take up something else. And so, like many people do, I kind of segued from running over into cycling, although I still run. And um, the cross-country trips were a dream of mine, and I I just always wanted to do it. And I finally decided, you know, I need to to take this on. Um, The first one, actually, we had a family tragedy. Our, Our son, horribly was killed in a in a plane crash. I read that. I'm so sorry. Yes, it was it was a horrible experience and he and I were ran together and and did a lot of activities together and in the aftermath of that as I tried to get my life back to normal, I thought, you know what, maybe this bike ride would be a help me to get a way to help myself get grounded. And so I rode from Huntington Beach, California across uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Oklahoma and then into the south and finished up at Tybee Island, Georgia. Dip, dipped my rear wheel uh, ceremonially, ceremonially in the Pacific Ocean at Huntington Beach. And wow. front wheel in uh, the Atlantic when I arrived there. How, and then, the ne- then the next year I rode from Mexico to Canada. Oh, my. And how long did those rides take? The first one took 36 days, about 2,700 miles. Wow. 
The second one, of course, is it was quite a bit shorter, uh, 17 days, and that was about um, 1,700 miles. Most people said uh, when I showed when I told them about the second ride, they all say, "Well, that was easy because looking at the map, you're going uphill all the way." <laughs> So, I mean, harder that is because you're going uphill all the way. But the, it was great experiences. I'm a backpacker. I've, I've climbed Mount Rainier. I've hiked many times uh, rim to rim and back in the Grand Canyon. And I think those of us who love the outdoors, and, of course, you're living in the state that's the very best one for outdoor activity in my mind. Well, thank those you. Those of us who love the outdoors are, are very lucky when we can um, fulfill that, our, our love. And I've, I've been lucky enough to do that. Well, Bill, I really appreciate you taking time on Sports Business Radio this week. I wish you the best of luck with the upcoming bowl season and in the future ahead. Happy holidays. Brian, thank you so much for having us on. Thank you so much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what's, or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest today is a man who has taken a once-mediocre franchise and turned them into one of the most thriving franchises in all of sports. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. So, Mark, let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan Uh interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? 
Probably none. <laughs> Actually, when I when I bought the team, it was midseason in January 2000, and they were nine and 23. Hadn't been to the playoffs in more than 10 years, and. Um, actually had been voted the worst professional sports franchise of the 90s. Unbelievable. Yeah, and, and you know, for everybody was like, are you crazy? You overpaid. What were you thinking? And, you know, for me, it, it wasn't a business investment first, but, you know, you, you looked at it and you thought, you know what? In situations like this, there's only one direction things can go, and, and that's up. And so um, I looked at it and said, okay, let's see what I can do, and, you know, all you can really do is, is do what you know, and I just tried to bring the same business principles that have worked for me in other areas to, to the Mavs. So how did you change the mindset? Because like you said, you know, this was a losing organization, and a lot of organizations have gone through many years of losing, and they're never quite able to change that mindset with the players, the fans, the sponsors, the community. How did you change the mindset? What did you do well, specifically? It, you know, again, I tried to take the same business principles. I, I looked at the culture of the organization, which was – very simply, one of survival. It's like, how are we going to get through the next game? Please let us not embarrass ourselves. Please let people show up. You know, from a sales perspective, they waited for the phone to ring. And I said, you know what, guys? That's just not going to cut it anymore. I've got two jobs. And the first is to set the vision of this organization. And from now on, you know, the business side of things in terms of fans and, and our customers, we can't control whether the Mavs win or lose, but we can control the experience they have in the arena. And we're going to invest in that to make sure that it's fun. I want it, I, I want it to be like a good wedding, you know, the kind where people are drinking and dancing and having fun and shouting and screaming, and then you kind of forget who actually got married. Um, and, and so we started within the stands. Um, we started with the sales force. They had like five salespeople. And I was like, you know, we were in a reunion arena at the time. I was like, we sell, have to sell 17,000 tickets 41 times for 41 games. And if I have to hire 17,000 salespeople all to sell 41 tickets, that's what we're going to do. But I set up a, a sales organization where we hired, you know, like 40 people. I put my own desk right in the middle of all the salespeople, and I got there early, and I started making cold calls. And I said, you know what, we, we have $8 tickets, we have $10 tickets. for You know, you could, you could go have a, a Big Mac, fries, and a large drink, or you can go to the Mavs game. That's how inexpensive we are. And but we do a terrible job of communicating that, so we're going to get on the phone and we're going to start letting people know that we're a great value. And then from the, the team perspective, you know, I, I tried again to take the same approach. We had, you know, I looked at the, the technology business I'd come from and said, okay, we invest millions of dollars in, in hardware and software and backup systems, and, and then we spend money on training. Here, the basketball business, professional sports business, we spent money on millions of dollars on athletes but we gave them no support. It was kind of like the conventional wisdom was you're, get, you're getting paid all these millions of dollars. You figure out how to be the best at your, at your job. And to me, that was crazy. So I took a lot of flack, but I told our players I was going to put them in a position to succeed. I was going to make their job, their lives as easy as possible so they could focus on their jobs. I brought in, you know, tons of assistant coaches that I really didn't. I paid, I paid my assistant coaches less than I paid people that I used to train on Microsoft Word or Microsoft Excel or, or software products, but I brought them in to give um, our players one-on-one -on -one attention. And then I told our players, I said, if you don't give me everything you got, because I'm going to give you everything I can. Right. If you don't give me everything you got, you're going to be gone. So, and that kind of became a, a self, uh, what's the right word, self-weeding process. It right. Weeded out the guys who weren't willing to work and let us evolve. 
you're such a passionate owner. Uh, some people have been critical of you because you're in the huddle and you're around the team and you travel on the plane, but I think that gives you a unique perspective. How has that perspective and that closeness allowed you to make personnel decisions? Well, you know, it's funny because it, you're exactly right. People gave me a lot of grief about it, and in reality, if you think about it, okay, if you had a business, I don't care if you're selling widgets or what you're selling – and your most expensive widgets were all in the room at the same time, and your best widget salespeople were all in the meeting at the same time. As CEO of that company, would would you face criticism for being in the meeting or not being in the meeting? <laughs> right, for not you know, being in the meeting. That, that those meetings are every huddle that takes place in an NBA game. And, you know, you look at a lot of NBA teams that haven't had success, and, you know, they go through coach after coach. They go through player after player. And when you look at the decision-making process, it's always one or two or three steps removed. It's an owner relying on multiple people that really, those people, their self-interest is just in keeping their job. That was one of the most expensive lessons I learned, and, and probably I, I was lucky in being around the huddles, and that, and that expensive lesson was the number one job of a general manager or coach in the NBA is not to win championships. It's to keep their job. Hmm. You know, it's kind of like a politician. There, there's only 30 positions that pay millions of dollars and let you work six months a year. Right. You know, and do you want to lose that job or do you want to win a championship? And, and what that led to was, you know, people, it gets, it's a clubby business. It's a fraternity business where, you know, one coach, you'll see if he goes from team to team, he'll take all his coaches from the former team with him or right. his trainer or strength coach. And so, you know, the industry realizes that, and so they kind of – insulate themselves to make decisions accordingly and so i said you know what that that's not going to work i have to change that and the only way i'm going to understand what's going on is to be as close to the real people that get the job done and that's the players and the coaches while they're doing their job just like you know i I would go on a sales call to help our salespeople. i would sit with programmers i would sit with engineers you know i would visit customer installations of technology to to see for myself what's going on well, you know, you apply the same principles to a basketball team, and that means you're where the rubber meets the road, which is right where the huddle is, right? Right, absolutely. That helped me make the decisions. That's a great perspective. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, you're a businessman. You're a successful business person. What are the two to three cornerstones for building a good business, whether it's sports or anything else? Oh, my goodness. Um, I've got my own little set of rules, right? <laughs> I, I, and it's worked use. pretty well for you. Yeah, so far so good. Um you know, first of all, you, you've got to be the smartest guy when you walk in the room when it comes to your business. There's, you know, it, put, aside profession, put aside professional sports because I can't hit the jumpers. I can't, you know, make the steals. Sure. Um, you know, so put that aside. But in a business, no matter what, and, and, and let's talk, you know, most small business, smaller businesses. You know, if, if it's your baby, if it's your business, you've got the ultimate responsibility. And if you don't know your business better than you know, somebody's out there that's going to kick your butt. Right. You know, you, you've always got to work from the perspective that there's some 12-year-old kid trying to come up with a better technology or a 30-year-old guy who, or, or woman who is trying to take your business from you and just trying to kick your ass. And if you work from the perspective that someone's trying to kick your butt, you know, that'll, make, that'll incent you to be the smartest guy in the room and, and to be prepared. So that, that, that's rule number one. And, and rule number two is don't lie to yourself. We so often, particularly if you're starting a business, you know, it, people tend to, to oversell themselves. Well, if I only get one percent of this industry, 
I talk to all these people, and they love my idea. Um, I have these three customers. They love my product. And rather than being brutally honest and telling yourself what's wrong with your product so you can fix it and make more people happy, you, tell, you tend to work, focus on what's right about your product, which you, know, you want to do when you're selling. You don't want to tell a potential customer what's wrong with your product. You want to tell them what's right and, and, and also be honest where it's not a fit. But you, you've got to be brutally honest about your own products, your own services, your own core competencies, what you can do well and what you can't, and, and then work to fix what doesn't work because you're not going to be the only one looking. If I'm competing with you, if Mark Cuban is competing with your business, I'm trying to find a way to kick your butt. And I'll find what's wrong with it. And if I find it before you do, then you're going to have a hard time competing. And I'd say third rule, and, and I'll leave it at that, is that sales cures all. Yeah, sure does. It, you know, I've never seen a company succeed that has no sales. Right. And, you know, people gave me a lot of grief about, oh, Broadcast.com, when you sold it to Yahoo, you were lucky, this and that. But what people didn't realize is it wasn't just about streaming sports over the Internet. Where we made our money and, and made our sales was selling the value of real-time communications over the Internet, you know, corporate webcasts to their customers, to prospects, to their employees, whatever it may be. And to do that, we had probably one of the five largest sales forces on the Internet at the time when, you know, back in 1999 to have 130-plus salespeople feet on the street selling these services, that was huge. And that, that was really our core competency, selling the, the value of real-time communications. Or the example I gave with the Mavericks, you know, five salespeople versus 40. Now, you know, it used, in the NBA, it used to be, you know, five was the norm. Now, you know, however many salespeople it take has become the norm. They've, they've copied after us. So sales cures all is probably the biggest rule. Mark, we've got just a few minutes left. Who's your biggest influencer mentor when it comes to business? Is there someone that you look up to? Not really, no. I mean, I look to what people have done and what has worked and try to learn from it. I try to, you know, just ravenously consume as much information as I can. You know, I've, I've tried to see the things that Bill Gates did when, when Microsoft was rolling, that Michael Dell did. I mean, I always give the story of Michael Dell when, when he was first starting his company as PCs Limited out of his, his dorm room in, in Austin. There used to be this magazine called PC Week. And while everybody else was trying to squeeze every dollar they could out of a retail sales price as, as price of um, electronic components went down, Michael Dell, on the other hand, took out full-page ads in PC Week, mm -hmm. selling hard drives and memory and all this stuff. But every single week, the prices would go down to reflect what was happening in the industry rather than him trying to squeeze out another nickel of profit. And he became kind of the de facto pricing index, and his business just took off from there. So kind of going against the norm and, and looking for people who went against the grain and, and had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. So, Mark, you've done wonders with the Mavericks. Uh, there are rumors floating all the time that you may be looking to buy another sports franchise at some point. The Penguins, the Pirates, the Cubs have been mentioned as possibilities. Uh, what's the timeline? Do you want to own another team, or do you have your hands full with one team and everything else you've got going on? I mean, I'd love to own an iconic team like the Cubs yeah. or the Pirates, um, and being Pittsburgh in particular because it's my hometown. Right. Um, but it's not something that I have to do. It's something that um, I think I could – use what I've learned with the Mavs and help an organization. I don't even necessarily have to be the lead investor. I just think it would be fun um, to be part of it, to own a baseball team um, or just be part of a group owning a baseball team. But, uh, you know, the way, the way the industry has evolved and the pricing and everything and 
the fact that you know, the Cubs in particular are owned by a public corporation, I think it's going to make it very difficult. Well, I would, I'm a Cubs fan. I'd love to see you own the Cubs. Yeah, you know, well, you, you know how it works. I mean, you're a business guy. You know that because the Tribune's a public company, it's basically going to, they'd have to get a, a banker and put it in a book right. and put out the bid. And there's so much private equity money out there right now that um, the, the price is going to be obscene. So time for two more questions, and I know you're going to love this one. If you were the NBA commissioner for a day, what would you change? I'd increase the marketing budget by 50% or more. I think, you know, in this era of entertainment, we all recognize that, that basketball, the NBA, is, is entertainment first and foremost, and you have to get out there and really market it. I think the folks that are marketing the World Cup, you're seeing those World Cup ads everywhere, and they're doing a great job, yet... Here we are with the NBA Finals even closer, and you're not seeing near the, the visibility of promotion as, as you do at the World Cup. And I think that's, where, that's not one of our strong points. We're better than we used to be, but not nearly as good as we could be. So my last question, our crack research staff tells me that in your early business career, uh-huh. you worked as a garbage bag and powdered milk salesman, and you even taught disco dancing uh-huh. lessons, which was the harder sales job. Powdered milk, I failed. <laughs> you know what? I thought people would give up a little bit on taste to save enough money. No, saving 40 cents on a gallon of milk or 30 cents on a gallon of milk it wasn't enough incentive to taste to drink nasty milk. So oh. I learned my lesson. And the disco lessons, hell, I take that job back in a minute. <laughs> given, given, tw- given dance lessons to, to sorority girls for 25 bucks an hour. Were you wearing like the Travolta getup to you? No. What, what did you wear when you're teaching the disco lesson? Oh, just your basic, you know, t-shirt and and jeans and that type. No of sequins, stuff. nothing like that. No, 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 no. <laughs> it, was, it, it was more about getting paid to, to, you know, forget the disco. I would teach them how to slow dance as much as I could. <laughs> That's why you're a smart business person, <laughs> yeah. Mark. I know you're super busy. I wish you the best of luck in the NBA Finals again, Mark. Thank you very much, and I'd love to have you on again in the future. You got it, Bob. Thanks, man. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business. Radio. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Gone astray is the bluebird here to stay. Is a new bird. He sings a love song as we go along, walking in a winter wonderland. In the meadow, we can build a snowman, then pretend that he is Parson Brown. He'll say, Are you married? We'll say, No, man. But you can do the job when you're in town later on. We'll as we dream by the fire to face unafraid the plans that we made walking in a winter wonderland this is brian berger host of sports business radio every championship team has one thing in common good coaching and i want to be your coach your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. 
New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Welcome back to Sports Business Radio. I'm executive producer Brian Griggs in for Brian Berger this week as he's out sick. He should be back next week for a brand new fresh show, so stick around for that. And remember, you can get this show today, Bill Hancock and Mark Cuban on our on-demand podcast. Simply go to sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free podcast, and you'll get one updated every single week after the show's over, so that'll be cool. And you're always in the know with Sports Business Radio, so get the podcast, do it right now, sportsbusinessradio.com. A reminder also to get those nominations in for what you think are the best sports business stories of 2010. You can email them to brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. And for the inside scoop of SBR and what we're doing and what's going on out in the sports business world, you can follow us on Twitter at SB Radio or Facebook.com slash Sports Business Radio. A special thank you to Darren Peck, Ron Barr, and James Harris at Sports Byline and to our show staff, Josh Blank and Doug Zanger. Also, get well wishes to our host, Brian Berger. Hope you're back with voice next week. I'll be here, too. For Brian Berger, I'm Brian Griggs, wishing you a very happy holiday season, and we'll talk to you next week on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.